Please be seated. So I don't know if you realize this, but I was thinking about it the other day, about how often we speak in code. Now here's what I mean. Sometimes we use words, sometimes we invent languages, sometimes we even just put out little things or maybe symbols. For example, does anyone else have this kind of coded language going on in their home where their little one has somehow opened the page of the Target ad and circled exactly what they want for Christmas and there it is right on the breakfast table every single day. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to break this code. It's pretty crazy. Perhaps maybe you're like my house as well, where when it's a special event, you find the shirt that you are supposed to wear right there on the bed. Maybe you're like these young youths here who have their crazy language, words like L-O-L. No? What about JJ here with the word yeet? I'm hip. I'm with it. Yep. I know a few of them. Even... Friends, this coded language is not just with human beings. Cats have this ability as well. <laughs> My cat likes to sit right on the dinner table at 4.30 and just stares at me. I look away, I do something else, I come back, there it is, eyes on me. It's telling me something. I'm feeding it at 6, but for an hour and a half, it's reminding me time is almost here. The goal with all this code, right, is to be talking about something without exactly saying it. And this chapter that we're going to look at today, Isaiah chapter 11, predicts the birth of the new king without ever using the words king, messiah, anointed one, Jesus, or even David, to whom the Lord himself promised would have a descendant on the throne forever. So let's break down our scripture today and see how it moves and takes shape in our lives. Now Isaiah 11 is a lot like what we looked at last week in Isaiah 9. It's a direct prophecy of Jesus Christ. Now, in the background of this prophecy, the wicked king Ahaz has got some sad events going on. Now, here's what I mean. He wasn't the best of kings, and so this prophecy kind of stands in contrast to that. Now, while Isaiah 9 was talking about darkness and light, here we have a new plant growing out of a dead stump, the stump of Jesse, which if we remember our Old Testament history, the father of King David was Jesse. And without this little hint, without this little code, without this little marked thing encircled, we might miss the powerful significance of Isaiah's poem altogether. Because the name Jesse tells us, the reader, that this is not a lesson on plants or a poem about wishful thinking, but instead is a prediction about the royal family tree of David and all that will come with this new king. For like I said, at the time, King Ahaz, who was the current king, had brought the family line really to nothing but ruin. And here Isaiah reminds the people that the power of the throne comes from God and that God has made his promises to David about David's descendants and his faithfulness will not change. It was here that I found myself stopping for just a moment and giving thanks to God for this text. Because is it not the same with you and I? That even though we continue in sin, even though we continue to live as we should not, even though we sometimes put ourselves first, our God does not break the promise that he made to us on the cross. But he remains faithful. And it is only by his grace and by his mercy, by his spirit, that we have the strength to continue on. 
We depend on the restorative hope that we have in Jesus to cry out, have mercy upon us. That's why when we gather in service, we confess our sins because we know that God does not turn us away, but rather forgives us. And by the power of God, new life can be brought out of a dead stump. And I think we can take that into our own lives in lots of ways. A relationship lost, a loved one who has turned away from the faith. Here we find we should not give up hope. We should not stop praying, not stop trying. The text then continues and it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. What does this mean? Well, the new branch of the family tree of Jesse will be anointed as the Messiah or King. Now, if you're following along on that little screen right there, you are like, I didn't see King, and I definitely didn't see the word anointed. But the ceremony of anointing was where you poured olive oil to symbolize the divine outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon a person to equip them to serve as God's agent. And here the Spirit of the Lord will rest on Jesus and give him the fullness of all the divine gifts. It's why when we read Revelation, we see always seven things mentioned. It shows completeness. It shows fullness. Now again, if you're looking at that and you're like, hold up, bro. I see wisdom, understanding, counsel, might. I see knowledge. I see fear. You counted wrong. Just wait. That whole part right there about delight and the fear of the Lord means delight in love. It means simply to love God. Isn't it interesting to see how love is always used as fullness? Paul lists it first in the fruits of the Spirit. Love summarizes the commandments Jesus teaches us, and John writes an entire letter about it. And when we finished that epitaph sermon series a few weeks ago, one of the things I was personally thinking of about how I want to be remembered for, I like remembering this about Jesus. Yes, he's all-knowing. Yes, he's all-powerful. Yes, he's all-discerning. But there is a reason that we teach our children the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Because we can never forget that our Savior loves us. And how do we respond to this? Well, one way is to mirror the epistle reading that we have. In the epistle reading, Paul encourages us to give praise to the Lord, to glorify Him. We sing together as one voice. How cool is that? We could come to church, we could just sit here, we could be talked to, we could stand and sit, but instead we make it a point to join our voices as one people of God and sing praises to Him. To join our voices as one people of God and lift up prayers to Him. One voice, one people. The descriptions of Jesus continue in Isaiah. It says, He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Now, I was doing a little one over the ah congregation today, and I noticed that Sam and Tim Grock, they're not wearing any sashes, and neither are my second graders here. So I'm going to skip over that part about sash, and I'm going to go straight into the promise that we have here, a promise that molds and shapes our lives. 
What we see here first and foremost is that Jesus Christ stands with us. We see that God has not removed himself from us. He has not left us on our own or told us to figure it out while he has something else to do. God comes to our cause. He comes to us. And to me, this makes me think of that parable of the wicked judge and the widow, right? Crying out, give me justice. And you'll remember that the, the judge doesn't want to be bothered by the woman who just keeps pestering him. But we know in that parable that our God is the opposite, that he desires for us to cry out to him in prayer. Prayer is an outpouring of our heart to God. It is when we simply turn and look towards heaven and give a cry of recognition, a cry of love, and in that prayer say, we will embrace whatever trial or joy you bring, Lord, because we trust that you yourself will bring aid, will bring justice. And in the meantime, we will wait and we will trust. And we also see here that the word of our Lord speaks against the illusions that this world offers us and find that by his word, God offers us something even greater. For too long, we have gone with the flow. For too long, we have been satisfied with just being a stump. And if you desire to grow, to come to the word of the Lord, then I say come and feed on it. Let the word made flesh take root in you. So that like the apostle says, you will be filled with hope and joy and peace. Prayer and his words are two of the greatest gifts that we have during this great reversal. And it is in this great reversal where we see such amazing things like the wolf lying, living with the lamb, leopard lying down with the goat, calf and lion and yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Cow feeding with the bear, young lying down together, lion eating straw like the ox, infant playing near the cobra's den, and a young child putting its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah again, with, oh, we're on the next slide there, Hector. Without using the words Eden, paradise, Adam, or Eve, the prophet paints a picture for us of the time before the fall in Genesis. And when the new king comes, the result upon the world is fantastic. For it will be the undoing of all the woe of sin in this world. It'll be a return to the conditions of paradise when we lived in peace and harmony together. And we find a, a particular comfort as well in this. Will you go to the next one on 8 and 9? In this undoing of the serpent here. In the new kingdom, the devil is done and gone away with. And we find this truth. That the fullness of salvation won't happen all at once, but will take place over a period of time. So we celebrate Advent because we know that the King has come, that He has begun to rule, and that we are now living in this time between His Advent and when the full restoration of paradise will take place. He came as a baby in Bethlehem. He grew up and won victory over death and sin for us at Easter. He ascended to the heavens where He sits next to God and reigns now as Lord of the universe. And we live, you and I, in this period of growth during the kingdom of God. 
Yes, we wait for the conclusion of all things when it will be perfect like it said there. And Tom Petty, I think, said it best when he said, the waiting is the hardest part. But we wait in hope. We wait in hope. The Star Wars fans know that rebellions are built on hope. But each and every one of us know that hope is what gets us up in the morning. Hope is what allows us to live. To go on, to continue in the midst of family members passing, in the midst of raising children, you name it, hope in Jesus Christ restores us. Paul writes that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. We wait in hope. Isaiah says it this way, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all the peoples. Now in the Old Testament, a banner was a pole typically placed on a hill as a signal for gathering troops. Christ crucified on a hill, gathering all people to himself. We rally to him and to his resting place. Hope. That's why we're here. We gather to learn this new language of the Lord, this new way to live, but we don't keep it a secret and we make it as plain as day by loving and serving others and telling and sharing the good news that God, our God, is with us. Will you stand and confess our faith together using our one voice?